0: I'm going to ask you if you would, uh, why don't you turn to somebody, tell them they're good looking, you're glad to see them today, and uh, just thrilled to worship with them. <clears throat> Maybe I should have given a caveat, you got to be careful who you tell they're good looking. Um, so... Uh, if I've not met you, my name is Pastor Rich. I'm, it's my privilege to be the lead pastor here at Real Life. We're thrilled that you're here, ladies. We're so glad to honor you today. So again, just a reminder, as you leave today, there's just these little plants out there. Our experience in our household is it's kind of hard to kill a succulent, uh, but that's, that's what they are. Um, but we'll see. Give it a try. And, uh, but that's just a small way just to honor you, ladies. And uh, I'm being consistently asked... What are we going to do for the, the men when June 19th rolls around? And uh, I like meat. Um, so we're trying to figure out Omaha steaks. I don't know. That might be kind of expensive, but we'll, we'll figure something out. But <clears throat> So when I, was, when I was growing up, there's been a, a person who's had a presence in my life since I was really, really young, really young. And this person has always been there. Uh, this person has, even when I've kind of gone off and done my own thing or ventured in different areas, this person's presence has always been there in my life. And um, I don't know if you've ever had somebody like that in your life who's just kind of journeyed with you through all the dis- different stages of your life. You've had the privilege of having that same person there during all of those different seasons. For me, actually, that person was a female. And. Um, Her name is Little Debbie. (laughs) I saw hands raised in the back of praise. Um, So, Little Debbie's always been there for me. Uh, I made the mistake in my last church of talking about how I have a a very, very strong affinity for Swiss cake rolls, uh, and that's how this happened. So, um, though, uh, Little Debbie, she was always there when I was a kid. You could buy a box of Swiss cake rolls for 99 cents. I mean, that's a lot of bang for the buck right there. Nutty bars, star crunches, fudge rounds, and then oatmeal cream pies. I mean, Little Debbie was my best friend growing up. We did not have much, right? But uh, Little Little Debbie understood me. She understood my wants and my desires and my needs. She made me feel good with all the polyunsaturated stuff and I just it was just what a young boy needed and and everything and then um, I went through a season of my life where I went off to college and at college if you've you know the college that I went to essentially every single meal is a buffet and uh, I was introduced to all kinds of different things then my my buddies at school my roommates everybody they bring like ding-dongs i would never eaten a ding-dong or a ho-ho Or all of these different moon pies. Oh, moon pie. All of a sudden, I realized, Lib Debbie wasn't doing it for me anymore. (laughs) And she and I had to have a little conversation. And I ventured off into other things. Then doctors came along and said, you know, Lipitor's a good thing and, you know, stuff like that. And you got to back off of the little Debbies. And and so little Debbie, you know, she kind of, she took a side role in my life. And I chased after hostess, and I chased after uh, Nabisco, and all these just, I chased after all the, because I mean, I deserve that. I, I should be able to pick and choose. I should be able to go after the things that meet the need that I have at that given moment. I should be able to go after those things. Well, at some point in life, little Debbie noticed that I was not coming around anymore. And so little Debbie took a look at Rich Doring. I'm giving little Debbie a lot of credit, aren't I? She looked at Rich Doring and she said, you know, you keep walking past the end cap in the grocery store past me. You keep going. You keep going by, and I realized that I'm, I'm going to lose you, so I've got to up my game, so little Debbie upped her game, and one day I'm walking through the grocery store. I'm walking past the end cap, and I just out of the corner of my eye, I glimpsed that little Debbie had taken those Swiss cake rolls. The good, I mean, you got to you have to eat them right. You got to peel the chocolate off the outside. And eat that first. You got to unroll it just a little bit, eat that. Then you get the most filling in one bite. And there's a science, okay? <laughs> this didn't happen overnight, all right? So here's how this works. So I'm, I'm looking at this box and I'm thinking, these don't look like the, the, the little Debbie's that I know. This looks different. This looks like a little Debbie with all the same goodness packed inside plus a layer of chocolate syrup inside. I'm like, Oh little Debbie. And then I look over here and then there's oatmeal cream pies with twice the filling. And extra large. And I'm thinking, all right, little Debbie, I'm I'm listening now. If you want to talk my language, I'll I'll listen a little, I'll lean in a little bit more. And then there were the fudge rounds, the fudge rounds with two layers, and then the giant nutty bars. I thought, okay, I'm little Debbie and I are back together. We'll try it out for a while, a season. We'll see how Little Debbie fits, and, uh, and I'll, I'll give it a ride. I, I'll be all right. Well, we're, we're going to go through this together, and I'm glad that Little Debbie finally is starting to meet some of the needs that I have and is able to agree to my sensibilities. That was all kind of creepy. So where am I going with all this? <laughs> I'm going to take us on a little bit of a trip today, and I thought to myself, even this morning, I'm like, i got to figure out how to, like, Be weird and funny at the beginning because what we're going to talk about is a little heavy. Okay, we're going to talk about this. It'll be a little heavy. As a reminder, we've begun this series from the book of Revelation, uh, one vision, and uh, it's far from the negative views that people have about the book of Revelation, uh, even today. Okay, even today, those negative views about the book of Revelation are are perpetuated. But uh, the vision of Revelation is this: you see it on the screen. It's an invitation to us, the church, to participate in the inbreaking hope of God's new creation today. Revelation is an invitation for us to participate in what God is doing in the world today to bring about his new creation. So the vision is really a challenge to join in what God is doing right now today, and today we see and will see that that has a lot to do with worship. With worship. But first, if religion is a set of beliefs and practices. If that's what a religion is, the definition of a religion, consumerism is probably the largest religious expression in the world. It's a set of beliefs and practices. It's a worldview. that kind of alters how we approach our bodies. It alters how we approach our, our relationships, how we approach our mental health. It also approaches, consumer, consumerism also affects how we approach religion. Uh, in consumerism, uh, your ties are cut easily in the name of happiness or personal interest. If something doesn't give us a certain feeling, if it doesn't make us look a certain way, if it doesn't give us something to feed our personal satisfaction or justify our desires or biases, we just disengage whatever that thing is and we re-engage something else down the road. So if Walmart's not going to carry what I want, it's all right, Meyer probably does. And so I just go next door, across the street. I just go to Meyer. So as, as consumerism kind of took hold of American society, something happened. The church took note. The church started noticing. And as people became more and more disillusioned with the faith of their parents, The church looked around and realized that generations of people were not coming anymore. People were leaving the church, and so the church upped its game. If you could attract people to church, maybe they would find God in the process. And so for several decades, many churches have been purveyors of services and goods. And in doing so, what what ends up happening is it begins to feel very transactional. You come to receive something, and this becomes a product for you to receive. Okay? And here's the deal. That model was successful, really successful. The number of churches attracting thousands and thousands of people, even to this day, has increased exponentially. So in all fairness, a lot of people have had an encounter with God. So it worked. Companies started popping up like dot-com companies to sell the church buildings to attract even more people. You brand yourself. You have to brand yourself in a certain way. You've got to target certain demographics. You've got to do direct mail campaigns. You've got to come up with a savvy donor treatment process so that the big givers understand how valuable they are to what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish. And what happened in the midst of all that is the industrial evangelical complex just came to be. Music started getting churned out. New niche curriculums to meet any kind of perceived desire or need, and more. Celebrity pastors, which is a total (laughs) noxymoron, it it just totally is, Uh, they multiplied exponentially. Now every pastor has a platform. Every pastor has people who monitor their social media content to make sure it's appealing to the right demographic. All of these things began to happen, and I began ministry in the mid to late 1990s. Uh, which was really kind of if there was a bell curve for this whole approach to ministry, this was kind of on the back side of the top, is when I jumped in. And so I was trained and groomed, essentially, in that kind of a, a ministry idea. And the greatest crime in the midst of all of that that a pastor could commit is to be boring, to be boring. There's a built-in problem with the whole thing. When you disciple, and it is discipleship, when you disciple people to be consumers, you don't get the right to act surprised when they act like them. And that's exactly what has taken place. In the book, The Forgotten Ways, there's a guy named Alan Hirsch. He's a pastor. He writes this, Win them with entertainment, and you have to keep them there by entertaining them. Then he says, He says, For a whole lot of reasons, that commitment seems harder and harder year after year. And there's a reason. People have stopped buying. They've just stopped buying. Uh, Now, because I'm Gen X, it means that I have a permanent chip on my shoulder. I've given that chip a name. The name is... Not chip, it's Carl. That's Carl. It's the name of my chip on my shoulder. I need to be checked every once in a while. Okay, so not everything that I've just mentioned is a bad thing. Uh, music should be good. Do not hear what I'm not saying. Okay, church should be attractive. The needs need to be, a, this needs to be a place people want to come and be a part of. There needs to be a community. Uh, and, and you should want to be here on a Sunday morning. And God has used the approach that I just described uh, to reach people for Jesus. He has. But there is a cost. There is a cost to treating people as consumers, and it's this. Consumerism trains our brains to treat products and experiences as disposable. Our natural tendency is if something's not doing it for us anymore, to drop it and go to the next thing. So it causes us to treat things and experiences as disposable. And a church environment designed for consumption is no different. Consumer Christianity places you at the center of it. It Places me at the center of it. Now, if it feels like I'm being a little harsh, we actually live in a world today where if you really wanted to, you could go online right now. You could pull out your phone and bring up Yelp. You know what Yelp is? It's an online forum for you to be able to leave a review on restaurants, pizza joints, car rental companies, churches. You can actually go online right now and leave a review as a consumer about real-life community church. And people do. Google, everything. There's reviews all over Facebook for churches. And they're beautiful. They're not, just so you know. Um but they speak to the very exact same thing that we're talking about right now. Here's all the things I liked, and here's what I didn't like. That's what these reviews look like. That's the world that we live in right now. So let's go back 2,000 years. The first century readers of the book of Revelation were confronted daily with these powerful, powerful images of the Roman world that they lived in. Uh, it was a gratuitous world. I mean, it, people lived for the whole intent of personal pleasure and desire and gratification. That's just, that was the Roman world. Idols were created and worshipped because of the promises that they might deliver on something that I want or desire or need. So idol worship was a big thing. There were all kinds of rituals that were put in place, all kinds of festivals that were put in place to ensure commitment to the empire that they were in, and there was a full-on need to keep people focused on promoting an earthly kingdom. That was, that was the focus. We've got to lift up and promote this earthly kingdom that we're a part of. And the invitation to those first readers, and I think to us too, the invitation of Revelation, the book of Revelation, was to challenge those readers, to challenge the church, to see the world differently than the world sees itself was to look through a different set of lenses, a different set of glasses so that the church would begin to see prophetic counter images so that our imaginations about what things like worship might be could be kind of purged and cleansed and be reset as we look through a different set of lenses and see actual reality as it's painted in Revelation. You and I All of us, we all wear glasses. They're given to us through our experiences. They're given to us through our desires. Maybe you've got glasses today that were given to you by your parents, your upbringing, your trauma, your experiences in life. Whatever it is, we all see things through a certain lens. They affect everything that we see. So today what we're going to do is we're going to take those glasses off. We're going to put on the glasses of Revelation 4 and 5. 4 and 5. So here's what happens. The Apostle John, he's invited to see something. And he sees a door. And as that door opens, what he sees through that door is a picture of heaven. John, who's, who's isolated in the island of Patmos, is invited to get a picture of heaven not some distant in the future heaven heaven right now heaven today this is what it looks like it's an amazing amazing picture and as he leans in a little bit he notices one very very distinct thing right in the center right in the center is a throne So as he sees that throne, he's impressed by a few things. First of all, the fact that there's a throne means that there's a control center for the entire universe. There's a throne. You can't see it. I'm going to move it over here. There's a control center for the whole universe. And you might be thinking, "That's that's that's kind of a lame throne. I don't know if that's the image that you have. I chose this throne for a reason. Because of what it looks like. So hang with me here. The other thing that really kind of strikes John is that as he's peering into heaven, he sees this throne in the center of all of it, the control center for the universe. It's occupied, which is a good thing. He sees an occupied throne. So, with our earthly glasses, I don't know about you, but with our earthly glasses, as you're looking around at the world that's around you right now, as you're looking around at the things that are taking place, and maybe even the things right now in your own life, the things that you've experienced this week in your own life, it is so easy to think there is nobody in control. Is there anyone calling the shots? Is there a plan that is in place? Because the way things are going right now, they all seem to be unraveling. Where is God in the chaos? Where is God in that chaos? It would appear so many times that there's no plan. And I want to I tell you, and I'm going to brag on you just a little bit, uh, I'm so proud of you because in the midst of that plan, there's God's people who step in and are a part of the new creation. You guys have been a part of that in ways that maybe you don't know yet, but uh, you're going to see some pictures on the screen here. I want to congratulate you. 1,800-plus uh, crisis care kits for Ukraine were sent off to Pennsylvania to be shipped to the Ukraine this last week. You guys contributed the better part of that, so thank you for doing that. A Ziploc bag with everything from deodorant to stuffed animals to towels to a toothbrush. All those different things are going to be put in the hand of refugees as they cross the border into Poland and other neighboring countries. You guys have been a part of that, and I want to say thank you for that. But as John peers into heaven, he sees this occupied throne. I'm not going to go into all the details. Remember, this is a series from Revelation. It's not on Revelation. Uh, But John begins using words that indicate, if you read them, that he's kind of at a loss. Even the words he describes for what he sees on that throne, they're not clear. Because I, I just get the sense that John can't come up with the words to accurately describe what he is seeing. And so his gaze goes past the throne and he begins to notice something else. He sees what's around the throne. All around the throne are angels and otherworldly beings, these concentric circles that are all around the throne. He sees all living creatures are there. They're all around this throne, everything from slime mold to blue whales and everything in between. Our minds can't wrap around. What John is seeing in this moment, there is a throne, and in in the center, and all of creation, all of creation, things that you can't even wrap your brains around or, or even know of, in all the universe, are in adoration and circulating around this throne. And then he sees something else. He sees us. He sees us. Legions and legions, more than you can count. Every tribe, every language, every ethnicity, every color, every makeup, all of it. The attention of all of creation in heaven is focused because something is about to be revealed. Revelation. Something's about to be revealed. Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read this in its fullness, if that's okay. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then... I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, They were holding golden bowls full of incense with the prayers of God's people and they sang a new song saying, you, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures, they all said amen, they fell down, and they worshipped. They worshipped. So the camera zooms in, okay? John adjusts his glasses, and in the right hand of the one on the throne is a scroll. Scroll. The details. This is the blueprint for how God is going to bring to culmination the new creation. How He's going to reconcile the world fully, finally, back to Himself. All of it. This is the day. In this scroll are the plans where the day will come where there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain. No more mourning. There will be no more death. The day when the old order of things will pass away and all things, all things will be made new. The answer to the prayer of Jesus is in this scroll. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The answer is in this scroll. But maybe more important than the contents of what that scroll means is that there's somebody who actually has the scroll. (laughs) There's somebody who's in control. Even today, there is order in the chaos you and I are experiencing. There is somebody who has the plan. There is somebody who has the words of God, who can implement the plan. There's a plan. And then, an angel cries out. Here's the scroll. An angel cries out. Somebody needs to open that thing and get the show on the road. The angel says, who's worthy to to even read the words on this thing? Who's worthy to open the scroll? Who could actually implement the plans? The hope of all is contained in the scroll, but there is no one who can open it to restore what's broken, to heal what has been hurt. And so John, realizing in that moment the hope is right there, But seeing that there's nobody to open it and implement it. His heart yearning for the day when there will be no more more tears, no more mourning, no more death. It's right there. And he begins to weep. He weeps. Have you ever had so much hope in something? Wanted something so desperately? I have a hard time reading. Sorry. (laughs) I have a hard time reading these passages because there is a part of me that longs for the day when there is no more pain. There are no more tears. There is no more death. Do you long for that? And what what if somebody held the answer right there in their hand, but there was no one worthy, no one to be found to fix what hurts you so deeply, what you want to see changed so badly? And then a voice cries out, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has overcome. He can open the scroll. The language is veiled, but the person is clear. It's Jesus. In flashes of lightning and rolls of thunder, a lion, strength, power, might, powerful enough, strong enough, and dominating enough to exert will and force that plan into action. And you would expect in that moment a giant roar to be unleashed and the scroll to be opened. But what you do see is probably the most pivotal expression of God in all of Scripture. He hears a lion, but he turns and looks and he sees a lamb. He hears of a symbol of power, he hears of a symbol of authority, but what he sees on that throne now is a power embodied in sacrifice and selflessness. And if you and I, if you and I would be willing to keep the glasses of Revelation 4 and 5 on, it just might start to impact not just how you see the world that you live in today, but actually how you worship. How you worship. All of creation. Centered on one focal point. The sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world, not through armies, not through violence, but through pure power of submission and selflessness. Only that kind of a king can unroll the scroll. That's why the vision is this. Every creature, from the upper decks to the lowest floor, united in worship. So what does that mean? What does that mean for the people who first heard John's revelation? What does that mean for us? It's this. You are not the one that sits on this throne. That's what it means. It would do us all well to admit myself included, that our human tendency is to put ourselves in this seat. And we would not be so bold as to say, yes, I am the center of the universe. All things bow down and worship me. But just for a second, in a moment of vulnerability and honesty, think about what we, uh, think about what you do When you come in here on a Sunday morning, perhaps even now the chair that you sit in is a kind of a throne. You come with expectations that you'd like to see met. You spend your time. I'm going to invest my time in being here, throw a little money in, attach some certain expectations to that. I have certain styles, certain tastes, affinities. And what when what orbits around you doesn't produce what you are looking for, what is your response? Now, again, listen to me clearly. I'm not saying that exciting Sunday worship, uh, engaging sermons and great children's ministry or whatever is, is something that we walk away from. That's not what I'm saying. But if the personhood of God, the selfless, sacrificial love of a lamb is dethroned, It does not take long for something or someone else to take its place. God's vision of the church is one body who understands that worship is for an audience of one. Worship is for an audience of one. And in today's, listen, fractured and divided world, selfless, sacrificial love ought to be the first thing that people think of when they see the church selflessness, yet consumerism is a problem in the church because it's a problem in us. There is a not-so-quiet and growing trend uh, of not just young, but even older Christians asking serious questions about their faith and how their faith relates to society and culture at large and how that's been portrayed over the last 30, 40, 50 years. I, for one, am very grateful for that conversation. Uh, Churches are being forced to tackle the consequences of consumerism on their congregations. And real life is not the exception to the rule. It's a conversation we're engaged in right now. I've addressed worship from Revelation for a reason. In the modern North American church, there's probably no greater example of a consumer attitude than in what you and I would call worship. If you need a little break, think about Swiss cake rolls, oatmeal cream pies for a second. What do we do here? What takes place in here? Or more specifically, what takes place up here? See, worship is not something that we get. Worship is something that we give. We give worship. Even our language betrays us. I can't wait to be a part of that worship experience. Listen, you experience a baseball game. You experience a nice meal. You experience a concert. And then you write about those experiences on Google Reviews or Yelp. You experience things because experiences are done for you. They're done to us. We aren't made to experience worship. You are not made to experience worship. You're made to give worship. You're made to give worship because worship is an actual response. The things that we do, the readings that Hannah shares up here, which are amazing, even the songs chosen... Are designed really for one thing to invite all of us to respond in worship. In worship. To give up the throne, even if we walk in here and assume one, to give up that throne and realign ourselves in the right posture around it. Are you following me here? That's our posture, is to bow before the throne. You did not come in here today, listen very closely, to get your praise on. That is not why you are here. You didn't come here today to feel the Spirit move. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, worship, it didn't do it for me today. Okay, okay. Well, let me ask you a question. Can you unroll the scroll? Can you bring all things to their culmination? Are you the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end? Are you Holy, Holy, Holy? Are you somebody who can bring about the new creation? Can you arrest death? Can you make all things new? Revelation is, is not a warning to the world to get its act together. It's a warning to the church to get their act together. It's a, it's, a, it's a confrontation of the church and an invitation to repent and be a part of the new creation that he's establishing today. And our posture of worship is an extremely important place to start. I used to have a book on my shelves, uh, and it was called this. They preached it straight, but I heard it crooked. That was the name of the book. They preached it straight, but I heard it crooked. Uh, so I want to make sure you're n- not hearing what I'm not saying. The ability to play, create music, enjoy music, all types of music, even country music. Uh, the, the ability to do all of that, okay? The ability to create art. The, cre- the ability to use technology to create an environment. The ability to do all of those things is an incredible gift that God, I think, has given the church to use to engage him in worship, specifically music. In fact, so much so that what you see in Revelation, and maybe even as we were reading that scripture today, you heard familiar words that you first heard in a worship song. I think it's very telling that lifting our voices and playing instruments was vital around the throne in heaven. The danger of worship, though, as an experience, is that we settle for far less. Wow. You and I have the ability, the invitation to come before the one that knows the beginning from the end. The one that knows exactly what it is that you're going through right now. The one who sits in control of all that is taking place, and who has the plan to bring it all to culmination, where there is no more crying, there is no more pain, there is no more death. Look, behold, I saw a new thing coming down from heaven. God is doing this new thing. And you and I have the ability to dethrone ourselves and put ourselves in a place to lift our voices in worship of the one who truly deserves it. We rob ourselves so deeply when we treat something like this as Yelp reviewable. <laughs> what are we saying about ourselves when we do that? For a church that seeks to be one, united in a world of division, the vision is clear one body who understands that worship is for an audience of one. An audience of one. Okay. Um, are we okay? Um, this won't be the last time we focus on worship. Uh, couple, next week, we'll talk about the church <laughs> as a part of Revelation, and we're going to have baptisms, and we're going to have a good time, and, and different stuff like that. And this summer, we're going to enjoy uh, learning how we can love one another, encourage one another more, different things like that. And I know that these sermons uh, feel a little bit heavy. I just want to encourage you. I love you. I'm so proud of the trajectory that we're on as a church right now. I'm so proud of the heart that I hear you sharing each and every week, even as we leave these services where I feel like I've just, I've put on like a giant hand and spanked everybody, including myself. Um, Even even after those, I see a genuine love for one another and a genuine desire and a passion to pursue what God truly desires for you and wants for us. And many times it doesn't look like we would describe for ourselves. It, It looks different. And that's hard. That's hard. But I want to thank you for embracing it. I really do. We'll talk about worship more in the future. Uh, it deserves uh, its, its time slot to be really focused on and understood and engaged in well. But uh, I'm so grateful for where we're at. I'm so grateful for where we're going. Uh, I think something like this can be a touch point for us to look back on. But I want to encourage you for a while to keep those glasses on. Keep those Revelation 4 and 5 glasses on. And the longer you do, I think you'll see the world that we live in a little bit differently. And maybe yourself differently, too. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand. A couple things. There's a lot of things coming down the pike in the church. I want to encourage you to take advantage of those. One of those, you saw it probably as you came in. But out in the foyer, make waves. This is our kids' camp that's going to be happening in, in June. Uh, there's little bags of Swedish fish out there, all kinds of cute stuff. Uh, you can scan this, you can register kids for it, but right now we actually need some volunteers. Uh, we need some people who are willing to give themselves for a day or two uh, to uh, help serve these children. And we're also hitting our community right around this church building uh, fairly hard when it comes to inviting them. So if you're, if you're interested in giving up a couple hours for a couple days, we would love to have you jump on board and volunteer and serve in this area, uh, there's a, there's a water or paint wars that's coming up. That's with the youth department. There's, there's all kinds of different things coming up. So I would encourage you to, to engage and take advantage of those things. So, all right, I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for your love for us. And I, I just want to thank you for the invitation. You constantly extend yourself to us. Even father, when our focus is off and maybe we've got the wrong glasses, We're looking in the wrong direction, so I pray that you would help us keep our eyes fixed on you as a church. And Father, just a couple of things. Would you help us to get off the throne and remember our place in honoring you and serving you and worshiping you? And then at the same time too, Father, we just celebrate the fact that there is somebody who has the scroll. There is one who is worthy, Father, to implement your plans for the redemption of this world, and we get to be uh, a part of that. And so, what a privilege, what an honor it is. So, Father, as we continue to live out what it means to be your church, we love you. We praise you. Would you be with all of us today in the things that we're carrying, the things that we're dealing with? Help us to be reminded that you know us, you love us, you know our name, and you're there with us in the midst of it all. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.